District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. I am joined by Thomas McCauley, who is Executive Director of the Professional Outdoor Media Association for this installment of District of Conservation. Thomas, thank you so much for hopping on and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. Why don't you share kind of your journey in the outdoors industry? You had a lot of involvement before becoming executive director of our organization. So why don't you tell how you got into the outdoors, talk about your past experience and what led you to eventually become our executive director? Yeah, sure. No problem. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate all that you do. Um, love following you. Big fan. Uh, of course, I'm very happy to have you as a part of our organization and a potential board member, hopefully, uh, based on the voting here happening soon. Um, so, yes, um, with me, to me, it all started back when I, I lived in California, Northern California, and I was raised um, in the suburbia. But I was only an hour and a half away from the ocean. I was only an hour and a half away from the mountains, but I spent most of my time by one of two rivers, the American River or the Delta. Um, and if I wasn't doing that, um, you know, my family was either, we were either playing music or we were hunting or fishing. It was just uh, two sides of my family. Um, <clears throat> eventually, my family moved to Georgia, and that's where I've lived since I was 21. And my first real job here, uh, I worked at the Home Depot. And, you know, I was equated a lot of things to Home Depot because one of the things that they taught us early on was engagement, how to engage with a customer, how to ask open-ended questions. And they really would knock you on your review if you didn't ask the question like, you know, what brings you in the store today? You know, what project are you working on? Uh, if you just said, are you okay? Yeah, no. I mean, they, they would knock you for it. Uh, so, you know, having that being my entry point into the world, uh, really, uh, in the business sense, uh, really changed my perspective. And I was very hungry there, very tenacious, moving from one position to another up until I became a, a department supervisor. And I had a friend, um, that had worked there part-time that left to continue his, his pursuits at CVA muzzleloaders. And I didn't know much about muzzleloaders, but he would come in and constantly ask me, hey, do you want a real eight to five job? And uh, I said, you know, I don't know much about Muzzler. He's like, it's okay. You have a good work ethic. You have, you're very trustworthy. I can teach you about Muzzler. So I'm like, no problem. Let's give it a shot. So I started working there in 2007, February of 2007. And, you know, right off the bat, just answering the phones and emails, um, really heavily relied on the website. To, to get me to where I needed to be. And then, of course, that led to me constantly wanting to update the website to make it as accurate as possible for people. And, of course, social media started becoming more relevant at that time. I was constantly raising my hand to help out. And I evolved into a position where I was like hybrid customer service and webmaster slash social media guy. And I just was constantly pushing the envelope to becoming something more uh, than a customer service agent. And eventually got into a position where I became the digital marketing specialist and then digital marketing manager, brought in another person to help me run it. Uh, and then that's when we started taking it to the next level and actually building out a marketing agency within BPI Outdoors. And Black Powder Products Incorporated was formed to really take over and manage the CVA brand 
but then it also managed uh, the brand called Brigara, which initially was about um, just barrels and getting barrels for other rifle companies. Um, but that's you know quickly turned into a rifle company in its own right. Um, and I was you know really happy to see the direction things were going. Um, and of course, being the marketing manager, I was a lead point of contact for the outdoor media, uh, being the liaison for the Professional Outdoor Media Association and many other organizations. Uh, finally, when the opportunity came to become the executive director for Poma, I was really excited to, to jump on that opportunity. And that's really what, what's gotten me where I'm at today. And you've been our executive director for almost a year now, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's over, It's already been a year, I believe, almost? August. August. August okay, will, very close. August will make it a year. Yep. And when you were talking about Home Depot, for me, my dad's in construction. So I loved the plug of Home Depot because I've always been in Home Depot. I used to go there, accompany my dad to go on his different shopping yeah. <laughs> endeavors. And I actually love the story of one of the co-founders, Bernie Marcus, who actually is a big philanthropist. And he mm-hmm. gave money, speaking of the Georgia connection, he gave money to the aquarium. And I love his life story. And he was on a not really related to this podcast, but he was on a, a podcast with Pitbull, the rapper, and they were talking yeah. about hard work and ethics and everything. And it's amazing what he and his co-founders were able to accomplish with Home Depot. So it's amazing that Home Depot kind of led you to your outdoor journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you look back on life and you, you don't really realize how big of a deal it was until you look back on all your principles and, and, and things that it applied to um, your life. You know, and and I think, you know, being there at Home Depot and being hungry to constantly want to push myself to get more hours. And that's that's the bottom line is I wanted to work more. And the only way I could work more was to be cross-trained in different departments. And the only way I could be cross-trained is if people wanted you to work in their department. And I constantly was trying to, you know, work with my networking skills and work with my people skills and trying to, you know, constantly have in, in a, a very broad understanding of the store so that way when it came down to management they were like who can we pull over to to get help in this area oh let's grab thomas thomas can do that thomas can fix the computer thomas can help with the register thomas can help with receiving or whatever and being that kind of person led me into bpi outdoors uh and then you know kind of doing that same kind of mentality there uh you know just took took things to a whole other level Having worked somewhat in the firearms industry, I want to ask you this because we've seen a lot of growth. I think there's really high demand and manufacturers can't keep up with consumer demand. We see very different demographics, your non-traditional purchasing demographics, buying firearms in historic levels. It's amazing. And yet you kind of see that with public policy, not matching kind of public opinion that is, I think, becoming more accepting of personal firearms ownership, perhaps a, um, let's say a doubt and a kind of prevailing doubt over, let's say certain policies that would restrict legal firearms usage. So having worked in the industry, what is your thinking on all this and what should be done to make firearms ownership easier? You think, despite kind of legislative pushes that want to make it harder and that don't really tackle criminal gun usage. Wow. Uh, it's a it's a pretty broad topic, but I'll 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 try my best to give you my synopsis of the situation. So, you know, everyone that understands anything about the law in general respects it, right? I think anyone with the most common sense about law, you say, okay, 
I don't want to be a rule breaker. I want to follow the rules. It's like even going to a park. You you drive up to the park and it says, pay $5 to park. I don't know about you, but I pay the $5. I don't care who's looking. I don't know who's around, but I pay the $5 because I know that's the right thing to do. And so I think the prevailing understanding of people that use firearms are law-abiding people. So there's enough laws, there's enough rules in regards to gun regulation, in my opinion. I mean, I buy firearms, you know, pretty regularly. And, you know, I also have a, a carry permit. So it's like, I've done the background check. I've done the, you know, the, the background forms. I've done everything required of me uh, in order to purchase firearms. And I think it's pretty extensive, right? So in regards to the world as it stands, do we need more gun laws? I don't think we do. I don't think it's going to prevent anything from happening. Uh, I mean, the reality is, is if people are going to you know, hurt someone, they're going to hurt someone. Uh, I, I don't want that to happen. And, you know, more uh, articles and the more things I see is, is people that were out there to stop that event from taking place, the better we are. You know, in the situations, I think there was recently a person that was trying to get to their vehicle to stop something from happening. Uh, and they had to re, you know, rethink their rules, uh, whether they should be even allowed to use phones at work. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the, where's, the, where's the actual freedom? You know, is it in the private part of that company to say, hey, maybe we should allow people uh, that we deem, you know, responsible to protect each other? You know, I think that's, you know, part of the whole idea. I think a lot of people that have that opportunity to protect themselves and those around them will choose to do so if, if allowed to. Um, but I mean, let's just look at the, the past year. We had a big boom in people going out and purchasing firearms and ammunition. Of course, um, the big story there was the scarcity. You know, you have this incident with all these riots. You have this incident with manufacturers seeing a boom. You start, you know, to see all this scarcity happen and people will move when they think that um, you know, there's an opportunity for them not to get something. Um, and, you know, the more I think about that situation, I think it's a great opportunity to educate those that may not have been in our group before. Um, gee, I wonder how many of those people that just bought a rifle or purchased a, a handgun or, or whatever it is, have any idea of, of the impact, financial impact that they've done on conservation. You know, I think that there's a great opportunity. I think a lot of those people are one and done. I think a lot of those people went out and bought a gun and bought ammunition and it's probably gonna sit in a cabinet somewhere. Uh, and if we can activate just let's say 15 or 10% of those people again, we'll be on a better projection of you know activation than we were before COVID, uh, and I think that's a really great opportunity to get those people involved, to get them to understand and enjoy, get them out shooting, get them out understanding you know where this money goes, you know engaging with not only the people that made those purchases, but engaging with the organizations that are getting that excise tax. You know, I'd be surprised how many of those people that actually get paid by the state know where their money comes from. Um, and so I think there's a great story to tell from both sides. And I'm looking forward from this position to constantly motivate media members to tell that story. I think it's a great story to tell. And um, 
you know, I think those those people that are making those purchases should know and understand uh, exactly where their money's going. I will certainly do that with the resources I have too. And I actually did write about that. It was not really a controversial subject, but I kind of point blank said gun control will hurt conservation efforts in the Hill, which is an interesting publication here in the DC area. And they accept all different opinions. So that the article did really well. And I explained the Pittman Robertson act and the whole process and how those excise taxes collected go back uh, after being collected by the department of interior to go to the individual States. And I think this year earlier, U.S. Fish and Wildlife announced like 1.1 billion was mm-hmm. collected um, to go back to habitat restoration, wildlife conservation, and even hunting education courses. So it was amazing, kind of a silver lining with COVID, just to see more people participate in the outdoors and combined with the just explosion of legal gun purchases that we saw the 8 million new people and even those who were repeat or returning buyers. Um, that certainly played a lot, I think, in conservation And, you know, I know some people are really afraid to kind of make that connection that will further gun control could lead to this diminishment in conservation. But I think we should be able to communicate that, um, obviously, without any judgment. But I think people should understand that. And it it may be painful for them to admit, oh, oh, maybe I have to reconsider, you know, support for further restrictions because there's no other funding mechanism. I don't think campers and hikers and bikers could match what hunters, anglers, and especially I think um, the largest share comes from gun purchases more so than hunters. I think Mark Oliva made a point of that recently on someone else's podcast. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they see the connection and certainly I want to do my part to enlighten them, but I think a few publications have, I think Pew Trust has talked about it at length. NPR has talked a little bit about it too. So these kind of not friendly publications, certainly non-friendly, non-endemic or non-endemic publications have talked about this and they're curious and they're piqued by this. And I think they're going to see that disconnect a little bit very soon, I think. No, you're absolutely right. And I did, I do remember the piece that you're talking about. And of course, you know, the more opportunity that we can, uh, you know, have open and honest dialogue across the aisle, uh, across perspectives, across Mm -hmm understandings of what is and what isn't I, you know should i i am all for less taxes don't get me wrong <laughs> <laughs> i'm all for less taxes however uh if something like this is in place and it's not going anywhere why not educate those out there on on their impact and i and i have a feeling that once we find a way to connect with those out there that actually care about making an impact uh, with those tax dollars and connect it to what they're doing and the passion that they've just discovered, we're going to see a synergy where people are going to forget about the political view and think mm-hmm. about how do we how do we engage with each other on this and how do we make it better? And I think a, a good example of that is I think the program's called Partner with a Pair. Yes, I'm familiar with that, but it, it's a great program, and I'm I'm looking forward to, to trying to activate more. Uh, companies and media to to get more content like that out there. I think Colt, uh, I think it was Colt that did a really good um, campaign around that where I think they went into some bear, they, uh, a bear den study. Yes, bear den study. Yeah, yeah. So oh that my was gosh. awesome. That was awesome. Anyone hasn't seen it, you should check that out. I was oh. supposed to do a bear den study last year and then COVID hit. So I was really upset and I was really looking forward to it. So maybe in the future, if, if that program continues, um, I was looking forward to doing that. But I may help with 
some bear collaring or tag along to bear collaring in the summer uh, with actually a really great group called the Western Bear Foundation. I'm trying to explore that a bit more, but the bear cub thing would be super cute to do. I think who doesn't like bear cubs. And then it really, it puts Pittman Robertson funds into perspective, especially. And, and people say, Oh my gosh, like they're not just killing bear cubs. I mean, we don't believe in killing bear cubs and it's unethical, but it's like, we can be supportive of hunting and also support the sustain sustenance of bear conservation and bears there. And I think hunters do a great job here in Virginia. And I know in Georgia too, um, we do have some good management systems in place in Virginia. I think, what was it? There was over close to 4,000 bears harvested last year. And we have, I think uh, it against a population of at least 20,000 bears, if I'm not mistaken. So we have a very successful program and hunting is a important component to it, even up here. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. No, and and I think that's a great um, opportunity you know, to let the public know, you know, what's, what's actually going on. And I think the more stories like that, that get told, um, will engage with those. And I also, if I'm not mistaken, I think some of those funds actually go to fund local public ranges. Um, and I think those are also, you know, good stories to tell for, for those that may not connect directly to, to the conservation side, mm-hmm. but to know that that those locations are available for them and it, and it gives jobs to people. I mean, people are constantly looking for opportunities and, and understanding that there's jobs. I mean, take, for example, in the outdoor industry, one of the reasons why I love the Professional Outdoor Media Association is we really help uh, those that are interested in the outdoor industry, you know, figure out how to get into it, figure out how to make those connections, figure out how to network with people. And, you know, you hear that word networking all the time. And one of the books that I have uh, you know, besides the good book that's out there, the, the other other good book that I, I read a lot and, and I love the audio version, I'll, I'll constantly put it on, is Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and How to Influence Others. And it's, yeah, it's an a old, good book. It's an old book, but it's so true. And you listen to it or you read it, you're like, this is a lot of common sense stuff. But it's one of those things that you got to constantly drill into your life and into your model of you know relationship development and how to make sure that people respect and, you know, communicate with you. Uh, and I love that, you know, that mindset of being on the constant look of, you know, how do I get the most out of the relationships that I have and how do I connect with those that I don't know about? And that's where, you know, our organization comes into play. And uh, how many years have you, have you been with home? Oh gosh, I think I joined in October, 2018. So almost three years. And yeah, I like that the relationship building stresses, not simply just making a transactional connection, it's Mm -hmm. more human. And I mean, sometimes those relationships may take, you know, and and can lead to transactional relationships too, in terms Of of business opportunities. But I think the appeal is, and something I've learned too in my journey since I'm still fairly young, I'm, you know, kind of on the younger side of communicators, I just turned 30. And you do have to, take time to build relationships. Like it took me maybe three, four, five shot shows until Mm -hmm. I could like have a return on investment. Not that I was like seeking to make money from going to shot show, but I I saw the benefit to going to it, making connections. And then when I decided to join POMA after Michelle Schuerman's insistence over the years, I was like, I should finally take the plunge and do this because maybe this is the key to maybe reaching my next step, getting more involved and then wanting to help pass on what I've learned and what I've accomplished to others who are mm-hmm. probably sitting in the stands and, and waiting for their turn. 
And it really is like, and I know it's so biased, like, and I've talked about Poma, Poma but I really do think it's one of the better ones and, and probably one of the more accessible ones. And I had someone share with me recently that said, we have to, I think, stress a little bit more on fishing too. Like we do a great job with hunting, but some of the anglers feel a little left out. So hopefully <laughs> we can tackle some fishing stuff more too. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, absolutely. No, no, we definitely need to uh, t- tackle that. No, I love that pun. It's good. I'm, I'm a big fan of puns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why no, don't you, sh- yeah. Why don't you, Thomas, share more about kind of What's going to be on the horizon for the organization, our conference, any special things that people should know, listeners of mine should know about our upcoming event, because it is a rescheduled conference. It's going to be happening in Nashville and there's a lot of excitement surrounding it. So why don't you share about that? Sure. Um, So the Professional Outdoor Media Association basically has its annual conference every year in June. And of course, because of COVID, we did have to reschedule it. And this is the coming up going to be the 15th annual uh, POMA conference. It's going to take place in Franklin, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Uh, And uh, it's June 15th to the 17th. Um, And that's going to take place at the Cool Springs Marriott and Franklin Convention Center. It's a combined building. Um, And it's basically the first day is more about networking. Um, the second day does have a product, physical product showcase day that'll take place outside in like a, a mutual tent, uh, area, uh, tent village, if you will, for products, uh, to be showcased. Um, and then that evening we have an award ceremony, uh, called the Pinnacle Awards, which, um, I think you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, just everyone knows she won, she won one. So that way everyone understands the joke. Uh, <laughs> and so of course we have the award ceremony, uh, to, to honor and recognize our media members, which I'm a very, very proud to, you know, to, to be able to recognize our, our membership for what they contribute to getting the outdoor message across. Uh, and then the third day we do have, uh, educational sessions where people sow knowledge into our membership, giving them the next level of information, uh, they may not have seen anywhere else. Uh, and in that afternoon, we also have a range day where people get to showcase their product at a range. Um, and then that evening, we have a live auction that takes place. Um, so it's a really fun event for anyone that's interested in, in growing their network, understanding that we'll have you know, 20 to 30 different companies exhibiting. Um, on average, our mix of attendees is between 60% media to 40% corporate partners. And we use that word media. And I always want to make sure that that, that stress is yes. Are you a writer? Are you a content creator? Are you a photographer, a videographer, uh, an influencer? Um, you know, you have a YouTube channel, whatever you use to get your media across to the general public counts in that regards. And we have opportunities to get you from where you are to another level um, by working with our organization. So I encourage everyone to, to come and join us. We do have a special promotion going on right now. Normally it costs $315 for non-members to attend the conference. But right now we have a code called HOMA125. Use that at checkout and um, you'll only pay $190 for conference registration and you'll get an additional $200 benefit, which is membership. 
usually costs $200 for members to join an organization. But if you pay and check out with that code, we'll get you registered for the rest of 2020. And you get to really see the full value of our organization as being a member. That's an awesome perk. You were telling me before we turned on the broadcast that this was happening. And I think I'd heard it in casual conversation. Someone had mentioned it, but that's a really good perk. And I'm going to do my best to share it with my contacts in um, kind of related media too. I think a lot of people would love to see kind of firsthand how our organization operates and how much fun we have too. I think also uh, one of the inherent benefits to it, not only from the seminars, which I always tell people like you should, and I I try my best to do this because sometimes I fall guilty to being on my phone, but at POMA, I try to be largely focused on the seminars and occasionally like post on social media too, but I, I like being fully immersed in it. And then in the evening, like the social component, the social hours that happen too, is a great way to get to know other people. I've gotten to know so many different major players in the outdoor industry through these type of networking events um, all across the board, but especially at the POMA conference in 2019. That was a lot of fun. And I think those are where you can build relationships from a professional standpoint, get leads for things, and also just make some new friends too. It's a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely. You know, it's funny is I came from it Whereas you came from it from a media side, and content creator side, I came from the organization from a corporate partner side. So it's, you know, working as a gun industry, um, you know, working at constantly trying to get media as eyeballs on our products. Um, you know, I went there for the first time, you know, with a very plain tent, with a very plain table, <laughs> very generic you know, kind of outline of what I wanted to demonstrate and said, you know what, I need to do better next year. So I bought the branded tent, the branded flags, the, the branded tablecloth, and then try to engage more. Uh, try to sit at a table where nobody was at. So that way I didn't know who I was going to sit next to the next time. Um, trying to constantly have those conversations with as many people as possible. So that way they could get to know me. And as I grew with the organization, I said, okay, let me up my opportunity and sort of sponsoring after hours networking opportunities and then sponsoring a dinner to get more involved to make sure that my brand was really recognized within the organization. And the more engaged I was with the folks and the organization, it went from me just showing up to hoping I can get a tested evaluation from somebody to the media membership being an extension of my marketing. Uh, you know, constantly being able to use multiple photographers, multiple videographers, multiple writers, uh, multiple editors, just constantly growing that network within the organization really made an impact on our overall uh, from a branding perspective. And a lot of this I equate to my life and my children. I have four kids and I always use the expression that the way that my children spell the word love is T-I-M-E. You know, the, the amount of time I spend with them is how they equate, you know, how much, it, you know, I, I care about them. And I think that's a, that's a lot to say with a lot of the people that we work with in, in the world. Uh, the more time we take to ask about people's families and personal interests, um, it's amazing how much that then reflects when they go back and say, you know what, I need to do an article on a muzzleloader. Oh, yeah, Thomas worked with a muzzleloader. Maybe he can help me on that. But because of the conversations that I sparked and that and that sense of personal uh, development with people, um, I think really takes things to another level. And that's what I try to really explain with with media members and corporate partner members that want to get the most out of being with our organization. 
Yeah. And there are many, many perks. Sometimes the price can be scary, but I try to reassure people that they have to kind of look beyond it and you want to pay for a good product. I think that's what goes into it uh, because you get a good return on investment. You get access to different perks. We've had great webinars and I'm not tooting my own horn because I just gave one, but generally speaking, we we do have excellent webinars. I don't think I can attend the most upcoming one. I'll be in Texas that day for your old organizations, a media event that they're putting on. So I feel like I'll be out of the, the loop there, but I'm sad I can't attend that one, but that's a really good one on, I think on digital media, social media coming up soon. Mm-hmm. But we've had, yeah, in, in line with COVID, we've been able to kind of reorient ourselves as an organization, offer these really cool webinars for our members and non-members to attend and really just keep the educational efforts going. And hopefully when we all convene together in Nashville, it'll be uh, even more electrifying and fun. Absolutely. That was one of the first things I wanted to do uh, when I you know, came on board uh, during the COVID. It was a challenging time, of course, but to be able to make sure that, you know, one of the things that I loved the most about those Palma conferences was those uh, breakout sessions where we would break out into different groups to learn about a different tactic or, or uh, strategy. Uh, and to be able to offer one of those sessions, you know, once a month virtually for people, uh, I feel is a great value uh, to, to be a part of. They're normally $49 for you know, each session. But if you're a member, there's no charge. You've already invested in the organization, so you have access to it. And we're trying to have one of those insight sessions at least every other month. We won't have any in May or June because of the upcoming conference. But as soon as July uh, comes up, we'll probably have another one uh, every other month after that. So the insight sessions are something always to look forward to. They're always fun. They're always insightful, hence the, the name.